This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Thank you all for joining me today for another important discussion about COVID and its deadly impacts inside nursing homes. You know that this is a big subject for me, and if you've been listening to this podcast regularly, it's something that I will continue to shine a light on despite others wanting families to move on. There's a few reasons why I won't stop talking about this, one of them being that the former governor who wrote an executive order that I believe helped kill thousands of seniors is trying very hard to rewrite history. Andrew Cuomo recently declared on his own podcast that the mandates he put into law were just, quote, voluntary. Voluntary as in you didn't have to listen to what he signed into law. You could just do as you please during the lockdowns at the height of the pandemic. That is a bold-faced lie. People lost jobs, livelihoods, and family members because of his deadly decisions. We weren't able to see our loved ones before they died because of his executive orders. We couldn't have wakes or funerals either. Thousands of them died alone in tremendous pain, and it didn't have to be that way. There was also this headline from the new CDC director, Mandy Cohen, saying that as head of the agency, she wants to help gain the country's trust. And truthfully, I have a hard time believing her because one of her colleagues that was promoted to a very prominent job in the CDC is Howard Zucker. Howard Zucker is now the deputy director for global health at the Center for Disease Control. In this role, he has a broad operating authority and responsibility for overall planning, direction, and management of global strategy and programs across the CDC. Howard Zucker was Andrew Cuomo's former health commissioner and the co-architect of the March 25th order that put over 9,000 COVID-positive patients into nursing homes in March, April, and May of 2020. Zucker not only enforced that mandate for 46 days, he also tried to cover up the death toll and had to resign from that position shortly after Cuomo left office. It's also very clear to me that Andrew Cuomo is attempting to make a comeback. He's been speaking at events here in New York City and using his podcast to pretend that all of a sudden he is the voice of reason and a moderate Democrat that's angry at the current leadership in New York and Washington, D.C., he recently spoke out about the migrant situation that's making headlines and said, quote, New York should start a work program for the new migrants, even without federal permission, instead of forcing New York communities to accept an influx of people they aren't prepared for. Forcing New York communities to accept an influx of people they aren't prepared for. Why does that make me angry? Because Andrew Cuomo did exactly what he's against right now in nursing homes, forcing thousands of COVID patients into nursing homes that they weren't prepared for and without being able to test them, resulting in death. And then he tried to cover it up. The bottom line is if Andrew Cuomo is trying to make a comeback I will do my best to keep reminding the public of his corruption and deadly leadership, especially during the spring of 2020. One of the journalists that has followed the Cuomo administration for decades is Bill Hammond. He's a former Daily News editorial writer and columnist and now works as the director of health policy at the Empire Center for Public Policy, a well-regarded Albany-based think tank. Bill testified with me a few months ago in front of Congress about the tragedy that happened inside nursing homes and continues to do important work investigating and writing articles, helping to explain why it's important we continue to go back three years ago and learn from mistakes so that these types of decisions are never made again. His latest article looked at how New York fared during the early days of the pandemic compared to other states and other countries. And needless to say, his findings were not favorable. Bill Hammond wrote, 
Three years further on, we can now quantify how wrong Andrew Cuomo was. New York's initial outbreak turned out to be more severe than almost any other countries, especially within its biggest city. This is worth underlying. New York's major population center suffered greater losses during its first wave than nearly anywhere else on the planet. Rich or poor, urban or rural, technologically advanced or underdeveloped. This should be a wake-up call for the city and state's public health establishments. By the yardstick that matters most, the number of lives lost, their initial response to the coronavirus was not just subpar or below average, but among the least effective of all. I'm grateful to Bill Hammond for continuing to follow this story without fear or favor. And he joins me now on the Janice Dean podcast. Bill Hammond, thank you for coming on the podcast today. You and I have known each other for many years now. I think, when did we first meet? I remember you were one of the reporters that I relied on trying to get COVID death information. And of course, uh, the nursing home tally, how the governor was actively covering up the the true number of deaths um, that were being reported from nursing homes or at least people that were getting COVID in nursing homes and then dying from the COVID that they caught in the nursing homes. When did you start to realize this was a story? Oh, um, I mean, uh, it sort of grew on me. The uh, It started coming up at press conferences. So I was aware that they had this policy. The details about it kind of tripled, trickled out. Reporters asked about it more and more, you know, more and more forcefully. They weren't getting very good answers. And that was kind of, over time, it became increasingly a red flag. I mean, I think at first I thought it's a confusing situation. The the governor and the health commissioner don't necessarily um, know exactly what's going on in nursing homes or, or how their policy has affected it. They're probably, you know, dealing with a lot of, institutions and trying to gather data from institutions can be complicated. So at first I didn't, I didn't read too much into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you the moment when that really, well, there were two moments when that really changed. The first was in early July when the health department put out its report. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the time for them to finally come clean. We knew, you know, we knew they were, they were sort of reporting only partial uh, data on nursing homes. They were giving us the people who died physically within the homes mm-hmm. and leaving out the people who had been transferred to hospitals when they got sick. Um, so when the July report came out, I thought this is their chance to finally set the record straight and say this is this is the grand total of nursing home residents who, who have died from this virus. And they didn't. They left it out, and they didn't even acknowledge that they were leaving it out. They just gave us the same number that the governor and the health commissioner had been, had been putting out at their press conferences and on the web. So that was a that was a big problem. I, I wrote about it at the time. I said they're still hiding this data. And then the second moment was in early August of 2020 when the commissioner was called to testify in front of the legislature uh, about the whole pandemic, not just this issue, but this issue came up pretty, pretty early on. And they said, commissioner, you know, you're only telling us part of the story, what's going on in nursing homes. What's the whole story? How many, you know, what's the real death toll in nursing homes? And he, he hemmed and hawed and said, you know, I'd love to give you that, but I can't right now. Um, and his his excuses didn't make much sense. And so that, you know, as I was listening to that, I thought, okay, it's time to to put in a, a freedom of information request. And so that that was that started the process of which ended up taking most of a year. Uh, of finally getting the the correct data. Mm-hmm. And so you had reported on the Cuomo administration before. Uh, you know, what kind of relationship did you have with them per se? Oh, um, I mean, it started out actually 
pretty friendly uh, when he first came into office. Um, his 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 brand of politics seemed like something I most of it it seemed like something I could get behind. He seemed like a, he was a fresh face. You know, we the Albany had gone through a lot of scandals and. Uh, he was promising a lot of reform, and for a year or two, he, he was pretty good about following through on those promises, with, with some exceptions. Some exceptions, but that's true of all politicians. Um, but over time, he, you know, I mean, he's 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 can be a very difficult person to deal with. He he uh, was you know, famously. I came to learn about his sort of darker side. His his vindictiveness and his and his bullying tendencies. Um, I, I mean, it, it. I experienced some of it firsthand when I when I wrote or said something that he didn't like. Um, and so, by the time um, I, I left journalism in 2015, I I moved to the Empire Center. I mean, it's similar to journalism, but now I'm working at a think tank, and I was. I had I had established myself as somebody who was willing to criticize the governor when I thought he was doing something wrong, and so I would say it was a pretty hostile relationship by the time um, twenty twenty rolled around. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Did you ever hear from him, or did you hear from his people around him? Uh, both. Really? I, I mean, I, I there was a period when I would I would get phone calls from him, or he would get on the phone with me. Um, semi-regularly um uh and then and sometimes it would be you know i I was also on the editorial board of the daily news i was a columnist um so sometimes i would i would hear from him when he was talking to the editorial board as a whole and there were a couple of occasions when things got very heated i thought sort of kind of bizarrely so in a way because the issue that he was heated about seemed kind of minor and also it seemed like we had our facts straight and our position was completely reasonable and I didn't understand why he was getting so heated. And there were other times when his people would um, sort of their mode of operation is they tell you what you should do instead of, you know, trying to persuade you or, or, presenting you with facts or whatever they, you know, reporters don't appreciate being told what to do. They, they just want answers to their questions. And so, you know, that was bound to lead to some heated conversations. Well, good for you though, because I talked to many reporters over the nursing home tragedy that admitted to me that he was the terminator that, you know, the stuff that I was talking about on Fox news or that I was writing about, um, it was never going to bring him down. And they kind of were, you know, just made me aware that I was up against a machine. So good for you, uh, you know, to kind of stand your ground. I feel like there were some reporters that, you know, that that knelt towards him sometimes that did listen to those phone calls and say, OK, OK, Governor, I'll, you know, I'll throw you a bone. Well, I. In fairness to reporters, and I, especially when you're not an opinion reporter, but towards the end of my career, most of the time I was covering coma, I was an opinion reporter. When um, when you're a news reporter, though, you're supposed to maintain neutrality. You're supposed to maintain some distance. You're supposed to maintain a relationship with an important source. Um, and so you're not supposed to, you know, I mean, of course it does happen, but it's always awkward when you get into a real argument with one of your sources. Mm. Um, as a reporter, you want to let the facts speak for themselves and you don't want to insert yourself into a story. And so, so um, sometimes people, I don't know what they said to you, but when they're talking with a source, sometimes they will say things to a source that are meant to calm things down, reassure them, um, uh, make it seem like they're more simpatico than they really are. Mm. And, and so that that can you know when that comes out later when it becomes public that can be embarrassing but uh, but I don't read too much into that I mean the reporters that I know in the legislature uh, that cover the the work in Albany and the governor cover the governor on a daily basis especially the print reporters I'll say um, they um, they they had no illusions about 
who Cuomo was or, or how he operated. In fact, I'd say there was a good deal of cynicism that had built up because mm-hmm. they had seen things that he had done earlier in his term. Um, and so, yeah, I and I don't think that changed during the pandemic. Of, I mean, a lot of there was kind of a general atmosphere of we're all in this together during the pandemic, mm-hmm. at least at the start. Like everybody was confused and everybody was freaked out. And the governor was um, providing information on a daily basis. And so there may have been a certain sense of uh, camaraderie that came out of that. Mm. But that that went away pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Listen, I was one of the ones that thought he was doing a great job. You're right. We were all in quarantine. We didn't know what was going on. And he was this kind of calm voice giving us data, uh, also telling us when he didn't know what was happening. Um, but I think it's really important. And your reporting is still so excellent. But I find that uh, the public's appetite for this reporting has really sort of people just don't want to hear about COVID anymore. And so for people like me who still want to know answers and still, um, you know, are constantly wanting updates about what happened to our loved ones during the pandemic, the spring of 2020, um, it's 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 really hard for me uh to see people that want to just kind of shove it under the rug. I don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, um, who cares? Let's move on. You know, we're we're all back to normal. But now that we're, you know, seeing COVID cases rise again, talks about masks, um, you know, nursing homes have never really sort of been out of the woods when it comes to the virus getting in there. You know, what keeps you going? You know, what you why do you get up every day and say, you know what, I'm going to write another report on what happened here in in the spring of 2020? Well, um, it's not the only thing I write about, I should be clear, but it is a lot of what I write about. And I, and I think basically it gets down to this is the, the biggest thing I've ever witnessed, mm-hmm. the biggest news event I've ever witnessed or the biggest event of any kind. Um. I, I mean, I, at least that—that that was the way I felt about it at the time. I thought this is this is this is a world historical event. People be talking about this for generations, and New York is in the middle of it. New York is the epicenter, at least it was for a while. And I—I w- I wasn't living in New York City, but I was, you know, I was experienced at following um, the governor, who was the the man in the uh, on camera every day. And I was experienced at how state government works. So I was, and I was, my job was to be a health policy analyst. So, you know, I had the license to think about this. It wasn't just, I wasn't just watching as a concerned citizen. I was watching, you know, for my job. And and I had the resources to spend a lot of time on it. Um, I, you know, you say that people don't want to, talk about COVID anymore. They're kind of done with it. And I, I, frankly, I understand that on a personal level, Mm -hmm. but I think there's, and, and you know what, I think the public should, uh, you know, the, the current wave, notwithstanding, I think the public should be allowed to move on. The people I'm concerned about, the people who should, who cannot let, cannot move on and shouldn't move on are the people in charge of managing the next pandemic, Mm. the public health, establishment, our our state leaders generally, there are a lot of things went really badly um, for the whole world, but especially for New York. And that, as I keep saying, it showed that we were both acutely vulnerable to a dangerous virus and kind of alarmingly unprepared to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out why things went so badly, figure out the weak points in our response and fix them. And we haven't done that yet. And so it's really distressing. It's distressing for me. Sometimes you even hear top health officials, top public health officials. The the, the example I'm thinking of is uh, Dr. Mary Bassett, who was the health commissioner who came after Howard Zucker, the one who was on TV with Cuomo. And Mary Bassett was asked at her at her um, 
confirmation hearing, what, you know, to comment on what happened in nursing homes. And she said something to the effect of, I don't want to look back. I want to look forward. And I thought you can't be prepared for what's coming in the future unless you look back. Mm -hmm. And so I, I found that very discouraging. I, you know, a public health expert like her is the last person I would have expected to hear hear that from. And But that seems to be the mood yes. of Albany. And, and I'm trying to shake them out of that. I'm having I'm seeing some rays of hope on that front, but um, it's it's it isn't easy. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tell me about the recent report um, that you came out with um, and the data that you uncovered that we didn't know about before. Um, so the, the report looks at two big questions and makes two big points. The first is that um, New York's pandemic, uh, at least that first outbreak, which mostly affected New York City and the surrounding area, um, in the spring, late winter, spring of 2020. That was one of the worst outbreaks the whole world has seen throughout the entire pandemic. Mm -hmm. I know it, it, it obviously felt awful when we were going through it and a lot of people died. Um, and then, then there was like just the huge disruption to the economy and our daily lives and all of the just uh, horrifying scenes, you know, with the bodies piling up in refrigerated trucks outside of hospitals. Um, but the thing is, it was still early in the pandemic. The virus hadn't gone everywhere yet. And so we could kind of tell ourselves, well, yeah, it's bad here. Think about how bad it's going to be in cities and, and places that don't have the resources that New York does. Well, it turns out that even to this day, as the virus has pretty much gone everywhere in the world, no place, almost no place had an outbreak as severe as the one in New York City. And the way I know that, is that there, there's this Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation in at the University of Washington in Seattle. They gathered data from every country and even from some states and cities and provinces within those countries. So they have data on more than 400 locations around the world. And I went through that. I found the worst 12 weeks in each of those locations and that the timing of that was different in different places. And I calculated the mortality rate from COVID during those 12 weeks. And New York City had the second highest out of more than 400 places around the world. New York City's spring of 2020 had the second highest mortality rate of any place in the world. Um, the the only one who was a little bit higher was Mexico City. And really, they, those two cities were kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. And um, to me, that's like this is not where New York City is one of the wealthiest cities in the world. It's, it thinks of itself as a, as a you know, modern and, and sophisticated place. It should not it and it also spends an awful lot of money on its healthcare system and it spends an awful lot of money on its government generally. It should expect better than to be to have one of the worst performances during a pandemic. In addition, it should also recognize that because it's an international destination for travel, it's always gonna be on the front lines of infectious disease. And so it needs to have a much better response the next time. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was point one. Point two was our narrative of the pandemic was confused and understandably. So, you know, we didn't, 
it was a new virus. We didn't really know what was going on. In particular, we didn't have good um, testing um, for reasons that were really beyond New York's control. The CDC, when it initially put out its testing equipment, it turned out that they had manufacturing flaws in them and they didn't work. And so there was a delay of a couple of weeks beyond the original delay. So it turns out that the pandemic actually started a month before we knew about it. In, it was in New York in early February of 2020, maybe even late January. I don't know if you, you've probably had this experience of meeting somebody who said, yeah, I, I had COVID and it was like January of 2020. Yep. Mm-hmm. And my initial reaction was, oh, sure. You know, like it was probably just the flu. But now I'm like, yeah, maybe they did because mm-hmm. it was definitely here at some level. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it was growing all through February and it really started to take off at the end of February. It was just spreading out of control. It was probably New York was probably one one place where the virus literally spread out of control because we didn't even know it was there. Um, and then uh, it peaked, and this another was this was a surprise to me. It reached a peak in mid or late mid March. So. Um, even before or maybe right around the time that we finally went to lockdown in New York State, the the curve had begun to bend already. And that was, I think, if you look back, before any before any government official told people to shut down, they were doing it on their own. They were canceling their dinner reservations. They were staying home from parties. They were not going to the theater they were taking other precautions. Um, the the NBA, if you remember, the NBA suspended its season. That that caught a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. If you know, if they're taking it that seriously, they're putting a lot of money. They're losing a lot of money by doing that. It must be something serious. Mm-hmm. So so the timing of the pandemic was shifted a month earlier. Almost all of it was shifted a month earlier than anyone knew at the time, and certainly. So, and I think that distorted the, the the lack of information about what was really going on. Distorted the state's action and the governor's actions in a couple of important ways. First of all, during February, even into late February, when the virus started spreading out of control, the the message from the governor and other elected officials was, "We don't think the virus is here. We we don't know of any cases of the virus in New York. Um, so go about your lives as usual." Uh, that was that in in hindsight that was bad advice it was a mistake to tell people to go about their lives as usual because it turns out the virus was there and it was spreading fast but later based on testing data people thought in throughout march and even into april they thought the pandemic was getting worse that the numbers were going up because the the testing data they got showed it was going you know indicated it was going up in fact, it had already started to um, subside a little bit in mid-March and late March. So they underreacted at the beginning when the virus was there and they didn't know about it. And then they overreacted mm. in late March. And one of the overreactions, I think you know where I'm heading mm. with this, was um, panicking about how crowded hospitals were going to get. There was a, There was a point where the governor thought there were going to be two or three sick people for every one hospital bed in the whole state. So that was, if you really believe that was going to happen, that was an understandable thing to panic about. It turns out, though, and as part of that panic, they started desperately trying to find every hospital bed they could. And and they were ordering hospitals to set up additional beds. They were creating temporary hospitals at the Javits Center. They were bringing in the Navy hospital ship. And then on March 25th, they made that, they issued that order telling nursing homes they had to take patients coming out of hospitals, even if they were COVID positive. Um, And that, so those were all panicky decisions. Most of them were just about wasting time and money, but moving patients into hospital was um, dangerous. And even in some cases, likely fatal 
consequences for the people in those nursing homes. Um, so it was made, it was, I like to say it was a downstream decision. It was, the governor thought it was um, an appropriate thing to do based on the information he had, based on the situation he thought he was dealing with. But that was, he was wrong. Like the information he had was bad and the mm. projections he was getting were bad. And they got bad because of things he, because of bad information he had early in the pandemic. Mm. And so if we want to be better prepared next time, we need, we need better information. We need to give our public health officials and our governors and our mayors and the public for them. We need to give them better information. Relying on testing is not going to be enough. We need other methods for detecting a virus in our in our communities and for tracking whether it's getting worse, you know, how fast it's spreading. Um, and so that's, I mean, those, those were the two points in my report. And then the third thing that I've been saying, which I didn't put in the report, which I've been saying to uh, reporters when I talked to them, it should, you shouldn't be hearing these things from me. <laughs> these are, these are things that our public health system should yes. be talking about. They should be raising an alarm about it. They should be saying, uh, you know, the New York, the New York public health officials should be saying, we've got to get ready. And now is the time to do that. And we have to study what happened and we have to like dig out they should be telling us, you know, the virus was really here in February folks. And, it, and, you know, like they should be explaining to us what happened. Um, and the fact that that's not happening tells me that, that we can't depend on them to mm. prepare for next time that we need to bring in sort of outside um, experts. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. What do we do then, Bill? Like, you know, I sat there in front of Kathy Hochul a couple of years ago where she promised to get to the bottom of what happened. And, you know, she cared about the fact that our loved ones died and, you know, blue ribbon panels and, you know, top notch investigative teams and nothing, Bill, nothing. And, you know, we have other things going on in New York, obviously, that are taking up the time and resources. But I'm in the weather business. And when there's a big storm like a Hurricane Sandy, you know, we go back and do an after action review so that the next time it happens, because we know it's going to happen, we are better prepared. But they have yet to do that on what you say is one of the biggest, um, you know, stories of our lifetime. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, certainly it's one of the biggest natural disasters that's ever hit New York mm-hmm. um, of any kind. Um, and you're right. Yeah, even after – so, like, if you run a Department of Transportation and there's a big snowstorm, you do an after-action review. Did we deploy the trucks efficiently? Yes. You know, did we clear the streets fast enough? And that, and, and that should just be a routine part of disaster response. And the fact that it's not happening now is just very discouraging and, and irresponsible. Um, the, the the governor, I, I will say, the governor did one thing. Um, she, after a lot of pressure from people like you and commentary, she ultimately hired an outside consultant to do what she's portraying as an after-action review. Um, it It's a you know, I, I'm going to keep an open mind about the quality of the work they're going to put out, mm-hmm. but they don't have subpoena power. They don't have the ability to force anyone to talk to them or give them documents or records. Mm-hmm. They're, they're completely dependent on the cooperation of current officials, but also former officials who are no longer in the state um, government. Mm-hmm. And also they, the nature of a contract like this you know, it's the governor ultimately who's paying their fee. And so they're going to, they're going to be beholden to her. They're going to, you know, ultimately they have to make her happy. They're not reporting directly to the public and they don't have any, any mandate or, or ability to hold public hearings, either to gather information or to share what they've learned. It's possible the governor will 
handle all that on the up and up that she will tell them, you know, to tell the truth no matter what, and she will share it with the public. It's possible that's how it will play out. I just, my experience with reports like this is that they end up getting massaged mm-hmm. to fit the agenda of whoever's in charge, whoever's controlling the contract. Mm-hmm. And I, and also, I just don't think that the scale of what's going on here, that the the idea of hiring a consulting firm to work on its own for 12 months is going to, is going to be adequate. I'm almost, I'm skeptical of that. The, so <clears throat> there is some interest in the legislature in, um, in doing something bigger in, in appointing uh, uh, an independent commission with bona fide experts who would have subpoena power, who would hold public hearings, who would answer directly to the public instead of, the powers to be. Um, We got a bill like that introduced earlier this year. It didn't move this year for various reasons. Um, But I I am getting at least some, you know, some indication that there are people in the legislature who want to do this, people who matter, people with some clout Mm -hmm. are are showing an interest in this. Uh, And that gives me hope that it it eventually might happen. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, you know, I'm at the point where, you know, you were there when we testified in front of Congress in Washington, D.C., and you had a ray of hope that maybe they would help out. And that's kind of on the back burner, or it seems that way, even though I keep, you know, reminding them that I sent them your report, that there's still a lot to be uncovered. There are, you know, various lawsuits out there um, wanting answers and wanting accountability. For me, you know, you look at the other states, and of course, people made mistakes. Cuomo used this as an opportunity to really promote himself. And I think that's what, that's in some cases for me feels criminal. Like he used this tragic event to sell a book, to celebrate himself, to maybe try to run for president. Um, And that's what gets me the most angry is obviously, you know, that March 25th order, I believe, had to do with a lot of deaths uh, because they put thousands of covid positive patients into nursing homes. I think, you know, that was a tragic decision. Um, But, you know, they have immunity. So that's going to be hard to, you know, prove in a court of law. But the thing that bothers me the most and the thing that I think gets him is his you know, his tremendous ego in all of this, that while he should have been protecting New Yorkers, he was, you know, getting a $5 million check for a book early on in the pandemic and really presenting him as the pandemic politician, the guy that was doing everything right, the New York tough guy. Um, And I know that, you know, the women that came forward about the abuse, that was an important uh, part of this to, you know, that he resigned, I believe he resigned because they told him he was probably going to be impeached. But does that raise any hairs on your back? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, 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 no question. No, I mean, I, I have, um, you know, there's a lot of strong feelings about Andrew Cuomo, and and understandably so. I I I've I've experienced them myself. Um, I don't think everything he did was wrong, but he clearly did. Some things were very wrong and had had terrible consequences. And, you know, uh, the sad, like, so when I think about how things went wrong during the pandemic, some of them really do trace back to his personal decisions and his, his personality, his style of politics. So there were times when the state really did have at least some kind of plan, which he proceeded to ignore or overrule um so the 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 big example of that was that it was supposed to be county officials county public health officials who ran the vaccine rollout this this was much later right this was in late 2020 early 2021 they had they had a whole plan set up they had drilled it you know they had practiced doing it and then when the time came to actually implement that plan the governor completely bypassed them and gave the job to hospitals mm. 
who had not did not have a plan and had not drilled it and really didn't have the capability of of doing mass vaccination. So there were things like that where it really it really it came down to what was going on inside the head of a single individual that that caused things to go wrong. Um, and so inevitably, if you do an after action review, a lot of it's going to be focused on on his decisions, his thinking and, and you know, the advice he was getting and and how people responded to him. Um, I mean, at one point, former Commissioner Howard Zucker testified that he didn't feel comfortable contradicting the governor mm. when they were. So, so the, the one bona fide public health expert that it was in his circle of his inner circle of trusted advisors who, you know, Howard Zucker can say a lot of things about him, but he actually had qualifications <laughs> as a public health expert and a doctor. That one person he didn't feel like his advice was being heard, let alone taken seriously or listened to. Um, so, so yeah, like a lot of, like I say, a lot of this review is going to have to inevitably deal with the personality of one guy who um, burned a lot of bridges and pushed a lot of buttons, um, but also actually somehow maintains a reservoir of public support. And I think that's, that actually might be one reason that people are reluctant to to delve into what happened because they know it's going to reopen a lot of wounds, a lot of a lot of sour politics. Um, I, I feel like people have to overcome that because look, it's such an important thing to do. It's it, the stakes are so high, um, but it you know. That's like that is one of the obstacles. His his legacy and and the the space you know the the place he occupies in a lot of people's brains um, really makes people reluctant to uh, to wage that battle. Mm-hmm. Um, other people like can't wait, obviously, but the the um, you know you mentioned that people. Are, are just kind of tired of thinking about COVID. And I, I feel like that might actually be helpful in its way hmm. if you, because it takes some of the heat out of it. Um, if people aren't, if the public isn't paying intense attention to this process of doing an after action review, it might actually be productive, mm. but, you know, but the thing is you have to get the politicians attention. You have to convince them that it's the right thing to do, even if it's not going to be a big political payoff for mm. them. Um, and I, I think, I think there are some of our elected leaders who understand that um, maybe they, maybe for them, they do see a political upside, but they understand that it's important to do. And um, yeah. So um the, the the problem is we can't wait forever. Mm-hmm. The first of all, we don't know when the next virus is coming, but also, you know, as time goes on, the memories of of exactly how things happened and the, uh, are going to start to fade, and and the records uh, maybe are going to go missing or or get lost, and and so it's really it's important that we we act sooner rather than later. Well, I thank you for your reporting. Like I said, um, you know, when I saw your new, um, you know, your your new article that was out from the Empire Center on August 30th, still, you know, giving new information, um, it was it was a glimmer of hope. And now that I've talked to you and you tell me that there are lawmakers that feel that this is important, another glimmer of hope. Sometimes that just gets you through the next day, right? Um, <laughs> do you think, do you think that, Andrew Cuomo, I know he probably wants to make a comeback. Can he? I mean, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to to predict something like that. Politics can be so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see it right now. I certainly like. I, I think if if he saw an angle for that, he would have he would have acted on it by now. Mm-hmm. As, um, I, I mean, I assume that he 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 would love for that opportunity to arise, um, and so he's undoubtedly looking for that opportunity. Um, 
but I mean, he, he really did. There was always a disconnect between his uh, generally high popularity with the public for most of his time in office and what seemed to me to be low popularity among the people in state government that had to work with him. And even, well, I mean, if you remember, Mayor de Blasio really went off on him at one point. So, like, he he alienated a lot of people in the political world. And those are people who he would, he would need at some level mm-hmm. if he wanted to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. So his popular support isn't the only issue. He has to, he has to, convince people and not for the first time by the way he burned a lot of bridges when he made his first run for governor i don't know if you remember this um i'm not necessarily going to remember the year 2006 maybe okay um he got into a primary against the uh the democratic party's preferred candidate who was Connor mccall and he alienated a lot of democrats in that process uh and he had to really wheedle his way back into their favor before he could run for attorney general in, uh, in a future election. Mm. Um, he would have to, he would have a much harder job this time to convince people that they should trust him in office again. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And meanwhile, Howard Zucker's got a job with the CDC. <laughs> yeah, that, that really was shocking to me when I saw that. I just thought he would be too hot for the Biden administration to want to go near. Like they have, they have access to any, pretty much any qualified public health mission in the world would gladly take a job at the CDC. I mean, it may seem like it's kind of a, um, a thankless job to us, but I think in the public health world, that's like the pinnacle of your career to work at a place like that. Hmm. And so they could have had anybody why they thought he made sense. He, he had just demonstrated how flawed he could be in a crisis. Um, the, I mean, I mentioned before, he, he testified under oath that, you know, he, he didn't always agree with what the governor was doing, and yet he didn't, he didn't speak up. Hmm. He didn't feel like he could speak up. And not only did he not speak up in private meetings with the governor, he also didn't tell the public what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had opportunities to do that. He had opportunities like when he was talking directly to the public, he was doing his own press conference. The governor wasn't there. Um, he was the health commissioner of the state of New York. And he continued parroting the company line, which he knew to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that kind of stuff should be just, you know, I would have thought it would be um, disqualifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's discouraging uh, that the Biden administration would, that he could fail up in that way, that he could, you know, from from mishandling a pandemic in New York, he'd go to, you know, a very high-ranking job at the CDC. That was That was disappointing. Well, he can still come clean on the stand. That would be helpful. <laughs> to tell the to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth at some point would be helpful. Um, but listen, you know, he I think he wrote like he wrote some kind of op-ed or maybe it was just on the web or something where he it was kind of like his farewell letter or something, <laughs> and he tried to explain what happened, and I just found it completely unconvincing, um, and and not it didn't reflect well on him. Uh, so I don't know whether he like that. That's part of the problem with with the pandemic review is that people feel defensive. They're they're reacting defensively about what happened hmm. instead of you know putting their own interests and feelings behind the best interests of the public um, and the need for a better understanding of what happened and a a new approach. Well, to be continued, my friend, uh, again, I appreciate your reporting. You are fair and balanced. You always have been. uh, And for that, I'm grateful. Um, and you know, keep me posted on everything. <laughs> Again, it's 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 hopeful that you tell me that there are some lawmakers that you know still have this on their desk and still want ma- to make things happen for for some of us that really want 
answers and accountability. Well, thank you for your your passion and and energy and commitment to this issue because it it makes things happen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, I've seen that, and uh, yeah, it's it's extremely important. And 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 for uh, continuing to pay attention and 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 creating a platform for discussions like this one. Always. It's so important. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill Hammond. Thank you again to Bill Hammond for joining me today. Mr. Hammond is the Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the Empire Center. I'm truly grateful for his continued dogged reporting on the tragedy that unfolded in New York City and one that many families like my own deserve answers to and accountability. Bill's report, Behind the Curve, the Extreme Severity of New York City's First Pandemic Wave, was published August 30th, 2023, and you can find it on their website at empirecenter.org. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram, or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.